You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hi, I'm your inner dream monologue, and you're fast asleep, so I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. I'm Adam. I'm Frankie. <laughs> well, Hello. That really did go straight in. I know, right? <laughs> or should I say Erin Gobra? Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah or you say up for the rebels same vibe right <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> what could happen spoilers welcome back to the labors of hercule can i quickly say another thank you to jason for his appearance yes. on the last episode what a cracking guest he was yep definitely be having old jason back again he was yeah uh, very good fun and uh Everyone loved him, didn't they? So. They did. Lots of lovely messages about how great Jason was. Um, but let's not like give him too much praise. Like I don't want him taking my part on this podcast. I could everyone stop praising Jason quite so much. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just like the I reckon it was going to be me. Yeah, I reckon you'll turf me out and stick Jason in. I think that's well, that's a variable that no one's considered yet. But uh, it's nice to have options. You need to no, worry. Because you you post the um the podcast on the internet, so we need you. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, I just yeah. won't post it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm that petty. Yeah, that's it. You're a you're a you're a uh, you've got like a tenure on this podcast. Yeah. You cannot be fired. Yeah, good old me. That was a good insurance <laughs> policy, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So if this podcast suddenly stops publishing, you won't know it. <laughs> Frankie and Jason attempted a coup. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Mutiny. Um, and while we're, while we're thanking people, I meant to thank her last episode, but I'd also like to thank my dear friend Edith for sending me the drunk voice note of her doing her reading the line from Poirot. Uh, she was drunk. I messaged her at probably like 10 o'clock at night saying, hey, can you just send me a voice note of you reading this line? And she just did it without question. Uh, and I loved how much like Borat she sounded. At the grows of mustache. Wow, 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 it's very nice. <laughs> Every time I see her now, we recreate it and it's great. So thank you, Edith. I, when I listened back to the show, actually, because, you know, I, I said, I'm sure that's the line yeah. your friend Edith wrote. And you went, well, I, well, let's see or something, or I can get her to do it. And then she did it. And then after she finished talking, we just moved on. <laughs> Didn't even acknowledge it. So no, I would just like to quickly, I know, I would like, just like to quickly say, no, it was very good of you to do that, Edith. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It was, as I was editing, I was like, oh, I'm going to actually ask her. And I was editing late, but luckily she was out late having fun, not editing at home like a sad little loser on a Saturday night. So that's why we, that's how we got it. Uh, so thank you, Edith. <laughs> well, do we have any uh, messages this time? Frank? Yes, we do. We've got a couple of emails and a few little in- social media posts as well. So mm-hmm. lots of fun. Are Let's you sitting comfortably? Yeah. And I'll show up again. Uh, the first one <laughs> is, and this one's a little minor spoiler about the episode ahead. This is from Richard. And he says, hello from Auckland, New Zealand. Blimey O'Reilly. That's the thing, it's not like crikey, it's like crikey, it's like lower for New Zealand and I can't 
master the nuance of it. I don't know about you. <laughs> you just heard I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, Richard says, very much enjoying the podcast. Thank you. And love the Poirot TV show. The production is so meticulous on the show. Everything is perfect up until now. Ooh. Oh, Plot twist. <laughs> yeah. In The Kidnapped Prime Minister, which we're about to talk about, when Hastings drive off to follow the lady from the house, he drives over a speed bump. But the first speed bump in Britain wasn't installed into 1983. So they're a little early. Oh, perhaps it was just like a sack of flour. <laughs> <laughs> Graying. Uh, or it was just like a sack of uh, cement. I don't know. Could have been anything, but no. He says, mon dieu, I must get out more. Or at all. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for your attention. And that was from Richard. So well spotted. I watched that. I rewatched that tonight. I don't remember that. But um, you yeah, know, I'll just, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure you're right. But my goodness me, mm. what a mistake to make. You'd have thought I the know. production staff, they're usually so meticulous about things. But mm. yeah, I guess maybe we would just always have assumed they've always been with us, the speed bumps, as we think the Romans must have popped them in to stop people going on their chariots so quickly through London. Who knows? Yeah. But uh, yeah, I guess not. So It was a damned offensive mistake to have made. You're damned offensive. You could say they pull, pulled a Waverly. Oh! Uh, it, dirty swine. Dirty swine! I couldn't think of a way to work it in, in a clever way, so I've just uh, said the line. Just put it in anyway. I think last week... <laughs> That was the first week we didn't say damn defensive in many episodes, you know. We were too starstruck by Jason DeFleet. That's, That's it. That's it. Dazzled. We have to be more careful. Yes, we have to be less damn defensive. You're damned And get as many in as we can. Yeah. This is going to be a bumper. You oh. <laughs> wanted your wall. During, yeah, um, during the show, I was so starstruck. Oh, I see. <laughs> Anyway. You built a wall. <laughs> I did today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then you walked into I it. I tear them down and I build them up again. <laughs> uh, Just like your co-hosts on your podcasts that you do. <laughs> uh, so the next email is from Claire and the subject line is, can a sick burn be unspoken? Good point. I have an answer to this. Go. Okay. Uh, she says, bonjour, Frankie et Adam. <laughs> love, love, love your show almost as much as I love Hercule. But I suspect you'd approve of me putting him at the top of the love list. I've watched these shows over and over again on DVD. That's how old I am. Same, Claire. Um, and I'm enjoying hearing your takes on each episode. The question of my subject line goes back to the Double Sin episode. I just listened to it over the Easter weekend. And I was so sure that one of you would name Miss Lemon's squinty-eyed, unmistakably malevolent glare at Miss Snigger, Snigger, she wrote, <laughs> as she shuts the door on him as the absolute sickest burn of the episode. But no, uh, fair point, Claire. You know, we tend to go for, as an audio medium, we tend to go for the audible ones. We do occasionally do a visual, visual burn. And yeah, you're absolutely right. If if that if looks could kill. Mr. Dick, <laughs> still can't say his name without laughing, uh, would be long <laughs> dead in you? the ground. <laughs> well, indeed. She says, Miss Lemon's look is the living embodiment of the line from Raymond Chandler's The Long Goodbye. The girl gave him a look which ought to have struck at least four inches out of his back. 
Miss Lemon, Raymond Chandler, my worlds are colliding. Ahem. Anyway, does a sick burn need to be spoken to being contention? Because I'm sure there are some pretty good glares and eye rolls to come. And that's from Claire from Calgary in Canada. Oh, crikey O'Reilly. Oh, I know. <laughs> crikey. What's that? <laughs> crikey O'Reilly. A boot. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to the sick burn, my favourite sick burn of this episode coming up, Kidnap Prime Minister, I did think to myself, actually, spoiler alert, my oh. favourite sick burn is when when Miss Lemon is trying to supply, shall we say, the name yes. of the place. <laughs> yes. it's, it's a brilliant comic moment, but it's oh Poirot's it's Poirot's look at Jap when yeah. when he goes, Come on then, let's go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the same look um he throws at Hastings almost at the end of the Call of yes. History. <laughs> yes. So funny. Yeah, that we have had some visual ones before, but you're absolutely right, Claire, and we should definitely count it as a sick burn because and Mr. D- if anyone's deserving of a sick burn, it's Mr. Dicker. He deserves third degree burns all over his dicker for the way he spoke to Miss Lemon. <laughs> so thank you for your emails. And if you'd like to have your email read out on an episode, please do send them to bonjour at the labors of Hercule.com. So now so. over to social media. <laughs> social media corner. We had a few lovely questions submitted via our Instagram and our Twitter. Callie A. Harris asks. Which episode would you suggest a new viewer watch that will hook them in? Oh, um, oh, that's a good one, actually. It's a good question. Because it is. I think um, Problem C is a very strong one when it, term- when it comes to mystery. Yes. Yeah, I'd say Problem at C. That's a great show. I was going to say, I, I totally wholeheartedly agree with Problem at C, but also maybe Parallel End House. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even that's though it's a long bad. one, but yeah. everyone's in there, the whole gang. And it's, um, yeah, it's a great, great uh, mystery, that one. It's just like Problem C is a genius mystery too. I just think if anybody is unwilling to watch it, do you even want to speak to these kinds of people anyway? Like, is there any point? Mm, I know, right. Lost causes. Apparently there's a, another podcast that was having a go at Poirot the other day. I heard s- s- the scent of it on a... Um... On the uh, on the socials the other day, uh, I actually listened to it. Yeah, and I'd never heard of this podcast before. <laughs> Jokes, of course, I've heard of you, rated H. <laughs> they don't listen anyway. Don't That's fine. <laughs> it, actually, it's worse than that. It was kind of blasphemy. Where one of the hosts of that particular show mm. did not know that Pauline Moran was in Poirot. Didn't know. All right. I mean, the education <laughs> levels just seem to have dropped in this country. So, <laughs> you just can't. You co-host another show with him. How are you going to look him in the eye ever again, I guess is my question. I just won't co-host any more shows <laughs> with anyone but you. So there you go. Well, there you go. Problem solved. <laughs> Problem at sea solved. Um, can I just quickly say, um, yes. yeah, another good one to recommend as a first timer would be the ABC Murders, I think. Oh, that's, that's a, a good shout. Yes. Mm. Yes. like that very much. Got a lovely message from uh, Raina Ophelia Simmons. And she just says, I'd like to say thank you for such an amazing show listening in Perth, Australia. So we are taking over Australia. <laughs> Struth. <laughs> yeah, flaming galas. We need like a more of a variety of Australian like exclamations to make. Starring the crows. That's hey, one. Give a Castlemaine 4X. <laughs> no, that's really out of date now, isn't it? I haven't seen a Castlemaine 4X advert since. Is I that was, a beer? You know, I think so. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the last time I saw that advert was when I was about 13, in about 1912. So. <laughs> and that was on at the talkies. <laughs> Do they have someone winding <laughs> it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Goodness, a bit. <laughs> Mate. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we also had a message on Twitter from Craig, and he said, just read the later books are set in the 60s, but the TV show kept them all in the 30s. Would you have liked to seen the TV show be true to the books and set the later episodes in the 60s? Imagine the costumes. That's interesting. Mm. I never really noticed because I thought the, um, I was pretty sure that the TV show did move with the times. But then again, kind to be honest, did. I can't. I can't recall all the books and when they were set. I know Halloween Party set in the 60s, isn't it? Yeah, curtain. Uh, curtain is, yeah. Uh, well, that's interesting. Yeah. Mm. I guess they wanted to, you know, keep with the period feel. And, and yeah. The, yeah. I mean, they had their audience, didn't they? They didn't want to, like, jazz it up and make it Austin Powers. Hastings, <laughs> 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 like, yeah, yes, baby. <laughs> Good Lord, baby. <laughs> he said shag. <laughs> <laughs> And he wasn't referring to a carpet. Yeah, uh, he. Yeah, I think I think they kept a, a very clear aesthetic from start to finish with the series. Like even Curtain, you know, it's set later on because obviously they're all older, but it's still aesthetically in keeping yeah. with the rest of the show. And I think it worked. It would have been quite entertaining, I suppose, to see them all in kind of sixties trend. I'm sure Miss Lemon would have rocked some cracking mini skirts and things like that. Mary Quant. Yes. Um, like plastic boots and stuff. Yeah. Oh my God. And like a, like a blunt bob cart would look amazing on Miss Lemon, actually. That's a good question. I think it's, yeah. But I think we kind of get a little taste of it with, if you've ever seen the Peter Euston off Evil Under the Sun, because that's kind of 80s, whether they like it or not. Maggie Smith is wearing shoulder pads that like she looks like she could play American football player and it's all <laughs> belted and polka dot stuff. It's very 80s. So I guess if we dial it back a bit. So more questions. We have one here from Raccoon in a Trench Coat, which is a great username. <laughs> That's a song from The Lion King, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it means no worry. <laughs> Raccoon in a Trench Coat. He, are, he or she or... They, raccoon, non-specific gender, asks why Agatha created Poirot the way she did and ended up hating him, which she did. Mm. Why do you? Th- why do I think that she? Did? Yeah. Or why do we think that she did? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I, th- I, I think that's a mark of a good author, isn't it? I mean, if you yeah. create a character you really like and has no issues that you have any problem with, then that would be really dull. I like yeah. the fact that Poirot has all of these quirks that might piss people off because. That means she sat there and thought, what would really piss me off? What would be yeah. really interesting to write about? Very true. I, I'd rather I'd rather she hated him than got bored of him. Very true. That would have been unforgivable. Yeah, I think you're completely right. And I think she she kind of wrote herself, I mean, it must be really difficult. And Agatha Christie, I think, is a genius. Don't get me wrong. I think she is an absolute genius. But she's essentially written the smartest man on the planet. And to keep that character going, not only the smartest man on the planet, but the biggest ego on the planet because he knows how smart he is. So that is a hard character to live with. So I can kind of sympathize with that because we all know people that at least think they're as as smart as that in life. And they're not the most fun to be around, I would say. But I think it's quite similar to Arthur Conan Doyle when he hated Sherlock Holmes after a while because that's all people wanted. That's all people talked about. And he's probably just done to death and, you know, tried to kill him off and then had to bring him back. So I think it's quite a common thing. If you create something that kind of is larger than life and gets bigger than even you as your writer and the way you think, is it must be hard work. So I don't blame her, but 
Yeah, I think you're right. God, if she got bored of him, the stories would have... Yeah, yeah, I think that would have been worse. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. But great question. Very good. Uh, very question. Another very good question is coming from Nella Badger. And she says, thoughts on the editing of Agatha Christie books to make them less damned offensive. You're damned offensive. I mean, I can understand. Uh, and then there were none's original title being changed. <laughs> but, um, oh God, I think you have to leave it. Do you? I don't think you can. I well, I think I don't think you can really sanitize the past. I'm, I don't know. It's very odd, isn't it? Mm. Because you know, say you write something now and it fits with today's sensibilities. Who's to say in a hundred years it's not going to go back to something else? Oh god! I, don't know. I think once a once a thing's out there and it's been accepted by the world, it's tough. It is. I think you just mm. have to sort of say, well, it's this, but you go have to go and think. You know, we've changed since this was written, or. Yeah, that's what people are going to be doing to our art and our, our contributions to culture. Not to our podcast episodes, surely. Oh, I'm sure they will. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be destroyed, long destroyed by then. <laughs> they say damned in it uh, quite and a offensive. lot. <laughs> You're damned at Yeah. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because like, I'm, I'm a firm believer in if something's upsetting to people, then why why keep it around, you know? But I also mm. do agree that it, she's very much writing from a time and a, a world that is long gone, but what she's of her time. And so I think some of it's a little heavy handed and maybe they're being overly sensitive with the editing about, you know, things about ugliness and things like that. Mm. Um, I don't think that's quite so necessary, but you know, the racist stuff, absolutely. Just get the horrible yeah. racist words <laughs> out of there for sure. If it If it's unnecessary and just yeah. hurtful, then by all means, but... But yeah. if it's like, you know, how can she say that all women should just be secretaries or, you know, this mm. kind of thing? It's like, well, that's a kind of world it was. I'm really sorry, but you can't, you yeah. can't, you can't, you can't deny history. That. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If it's just, if it's just like, you know, oi, offensive name for a Chinese man, come over here. I want to have a word with you. Then by all yeah. means, just, yeah. just take that word out. But yeah, I do think when it comes to attitudes and, 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 and terms they, they use for, to describe people, you just you just kind of have to say what it was a different time ago. That's the kind yeah. of thing you used to say. Like they've started slapping those like warnings on old films, haven't they? At the beginning when they're like streamed, mm. like Gone with the Wind's got like a warning on the yeah. beginning. Like do they could just do that and say, bear exactly. in mind. Yeah. Talking Pictures TV have to do that for most of their films. In fact, mm. they got so many films that had it that they just do it for all of their films now. It's easier, it's yeah. It's like, it's like, you know, you have to come into it expecting that you might find your sensibilities challenged because a hundred years ago it was okay to be yeah. nationalistic and it was okay to remark on people's weight because you saw it as helpful or what, what I don't know. It's, yeah. There's so much, it's so many, much nuance to it, but I totally get the whole taking out racist terms. I get because, um, you know, I thought you were about to say the racist terms. I was like, no, Adam, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I mean, there's whole, there's, I mean, uh, there's a, a story, Parker Pine, the, the case of discontented husband, uh, wife or something. Um, yeah, this is your, your narration of it. Yeah, it's very yeah. good. Thank you. But um, <laughs> th- a couple of times it's remarked upon that she's fat. And it just wasn't, a you know, people did worry about the weight and stuff at that time. And it was a feature mm-hmm. that, that gave people a lot of uh, anxiety. And uh, I'm trying to think of the right way to put this. There was an ideal idealised, you know, people weren't as accepting, were they? You know, no. you had to 
be a certain weight, otherwise you couldn't get your man and all that kind of thing. But, I mean, it's half the plot in that. If you took away all references to being overweight or... You just wouldn't have a story because yeah. he makes remarks about her, which causes her to you know put this plan into action. Anyway, um, yeah, we could argue about it until the cows come home. I do think, you know, if it's really, really vile, then take it. Yeah, out, but that's it. If it's just sensibilities, I think you have to give it a buy. I agree. Thank you for that great question, though, Nella Badger. Uh, also, just a nice comment here from now. I, I'm pretty sure you've submitted questions before and I'm pretty sure I butchered your name last time. And I'm very sorry in advance for Mad... Madhusri 14. I'm so sorry if I've said that horribly wrong. Uh, she said, I loved the last episode so much. The three of you were so funny. I couldn't stop laughing. So that was just a nice little comment. <laughs> Put that down to Jason and Adam being funny. So thank you. Down to Jason and Frankie. But it was just Jason, okay? So go listen to Jason's podcast. He's the common denominator here. (laughs) (laughs) But it was a lot of fun, that one. So yeah. Uh, This was a comment that came in one of our posts. And it's another very good point made about the cheap flat, which if you haven't listened to our episode of the cheap flat yet, uh, I recommend that you do because, uh, yeah, we get it's quite a heated conversation by the end, I would say, but not directed at each other, more at the story. And Casey Mooney 44 said, wait, why didn't Carla just walk next door during those six months she was waiting for the assassin, sell the plans and leave the, with the cash? That makes the whole situation even more ridiculous. I've watched this episode so many times and never realised quite how silly it was. Actually, well, I listened back to our episode because it was it's nice to do that. Um, <laughs> and I I got a little bit furious about it all over again. Yeah. Just, it's such a terrible, terrible, terrible plot, isn't it? It's, it's really stupid. Awful. It's like, why didn't they just stop using the name Robinson when they came out? So many, so many things. Just, oh, it just makes me... It's just, <laughs> come on. It's like, it's so we, can't, we can't bring up those feelings oh, again. again. Yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's like a sore thumb, that, that plot. It's really terrible. You're very right, Casey Mooney. I don't know why she took so long to sell them as well. I don't know what she was waiting for. It's really, really weird. It's, it's, it's yeah. There are quite a few big, loose, gaping holes in that particular narrative that we will ignore. So we can move on. But good point. Uh, and last but not least, Flaws in the Glass said, suggestion, a Poirot lookalike competition. Ooh, well, you look more like Poirot than I do because you have his face on your skin. <laughs> okay, it, I was uh, like, where uh, but- are you going with this? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I have to quickly tell everyone, uh, Frankie got a new Poirot tattoo today, didn't you? I did, with the aforementioned uh, Borat impersonating po- uh, Poirot person, Edith, earlier. <laughs> yeah, we both got a line from Five Little Pigs. That means a lot <gasps> to us. Why don't Why don't we ask the, uh, the listeners to write in? If any Poirot fans, if you know Five Little Pigs, why don't you write in and see if you can guess which line Frankie has got tattooed onto her arm i can tell you now it's a very poignant line and it looks amazing on you oh thank you very much i'm very excited that means i won't post it on social media until after this episode has come out my new photos of it so i will <laughs> wait for the sake of the podcast i will give up for my potential likes on instagram <laughs> for this so you're welcome everyone my sacrifice but yeah it's a it's a very special line and I'll give you a slight hint because it's slightly different on the TV show than it is in the book. In the book, uh, one other spoiler, it is said by Poirot. That's all I'm going to say. But in the show, he says it twice. He, it's emphatic. So that's all I'm going to say. Have a little guess. That's a fun little game. And if you if you want to have a guess, send it to us on Instagram, on Twitter, or you can email us at bonjour.thelabelsofhercule.com. 
just quickly, we need to go back to um, the Poirot lookalike. <laughs> yes. Just completely flew past. That. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> well, also, we with the regarding the Poirot lookalike competition, we did a sounds alike competition, as you know, and uh, mm. it was mainly Edith and her family that entered. People are people are reluctant <laughs> to send in pictures of themselves. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, really... And or recordings of themselves. It's a shame that you've shaved today because you could have you could have started something. Do you know what? I shaved my beard off today. And I, all I had left was a moustache. <gasps> and I did this with my shaver. I went up to the face and went, oh, no, I should have kept this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but by then, it was three quarters of a moustache. And it stretched from the corner like of it to the nostril. Yes, basically. It looked Poor like Chaplin. Hitler had been punched in a cartoon. Like his moustache had gone <laughs> off centre. So I <laughs> had to get rid of the whole thing. Or look like a lunatic. Next time, though, please. Next time. It was covered in brick dust. So I had to get Fine. We'll allow it on this occasion. But yeah, if people want to send, but equally, we don't need a competition. If people want to send in photos of them looking Mm. like Poirot, I'd love to see them. And maybe I'll send you a prize if you send me a good one. We'll just do it like that. Yeah. Just cosplay as Poirot anytime you like and send it to bonjour (laughs) at the labels of a cool.com. My goodness me, you've got some homework to do, everyone. <laughs> yeah, can you all just get, get, get to work? Stop, don't stop listening to the episode, though. Listen to the full episode and then go and do your written, your written homework. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Send in pictures of yourself looking like Poirot and see if we can guess the line of dialogue that Frankie's had tattooed on her arm. It's from Five Little Pigs. Should we go and kidnap a Prime Minister? Oh, which one? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, be f- there's five Tory ones to choose from. <laughs> yeah, how about the whole cabinet? Let's <laughs> go. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm going to get in first. So, to kidnap Prime Minister, hey, Adam, what are the White Haven Four up to? Poirot and Hastings are visiting Poirot's tailor, Mr. Fingler, which is the <laughs> most, I would Sexy. say, sex offender name. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they are having real fun in this um, season, aren't they, with Dick yes. and Sinclair? Hang <laughs> <laughs> on, the Christie's a saucy old bird, eh? <laughs> <laughs> you got Fingler. Yes. Poirot, well, Mr. Fingler and Poirot had, seem to have like this love-hate relationship where Poirot goes in to get his suit fitted uh, and Mr. Fingler remarks on the fact that the old patterns don't fit him anymore because... He's getting a bit portly. Another half inch. Monsieur Poirot? No, 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 Monsieur Fingler. I am exactly the same size as I was last year. It is your equipment that you got for. And Poirot seems to think it's something to do with Miss Fingler's <laughs> tape measure. <laughs> <laughs> Like it shrunk in the wash or something. Mr. Fingler's got a problem with his equipment. <laughs> but um <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, poor old Poirot. He's getting Poirot God, this all sounds Poirot's gained an inch or two. <laughs> Poirot Poro. Yeah. Um over the last year and his it, it's a little, little bit of a snug. A little bit snug, but yeah, as you say, he's challenging Mr. Fingler and his his equipment rather than taking mm. any accountability. I think I think it's good that Poirot's put on a few inches. There's more of him to love. Oh, I agree. Meanwhile, while all of before, well, right before the sooty fun happens, uh, Jap is working a big old job. He is working with the prime minister and the mm, cabinet. About time too. Yes, <laughs> I have to say. I mean, we'll get into it in more specific detail as we go. But Jap, I love Jap in this episode. He's real sassy, yeah. and I love the I love sassy Jap. He might be my favourite. Uh, what I love is he's 
well, we'll get to it, but basically yeah. Poirot is called in, isn't he, on Jap's recommendation. Yes, <laughs> yes. Jap, like, has to sort of play tennis between the two camps <laughs> all the way through this episode. Like, he loves Poirot, but for God's sake, you're showing him up in front of, you know, his <laughs> new cabinet, his new cabinet mates. But I love the fact that ultimately he comes down on Poirot's side. There's a, there's yes. a phone call, isn't there? And we'll get to it later, but it's really yeah. fun. Jap, Jap, Jap's a hero. Jap's a hero all the way through this season, by the way. 100%. First we had the old double sin stage Women's Institute speech delivery thing. And now we've got um, sticking up for him over the phone. Such a dream, though. And also... He, what I also like, I mean, we can talk about it and, and dissect it in a bit more detail shortly, but I think that this cabinet, I'm going to make some assumptions, is a little bit on the Tory side of things uh, in the UK. We call the Conservative Party the Tories. And I think that Jap is a Labour voter. And that's why he's a little bit, he makes a few comments um, as we will go to throughout being like, Jesus, this country, if that's who's in charge, we're in a bit of trouble. <laughs> so yeah, love, love that. For Jap, <laughs> you don't think you don't think Jap's um, Green Party then? Mm, I don't think he would understand what that means <laughs> <laughs> because he is meat and potatoes all the way. That's a good. That's a good question. Who do you think each of the Whitehaven four vote for? <sighs> good if, question. If, if they had to vote for um, a political party of today, who's yes. Miss Lemon voting for? Possibly either Green or Lib Dem. I think. What do you think? Mm. Whoever is third place. She just wants to be a rebel, doesn't she? Yeah, this will stand out a bit. Uh, I think I think that Hastings probably doesn't vote. <laughs> Hastings is one of those guys who sits in the pub and goes, well, I'm going to vote Labour. Why, really? After their record? <laughs> oh, right. Yes, of course. Well, I'll vote Tory then. <laughs> really? After their record on the NHS? Right, yes. God. I think I'll vote Liberal Democrat. You're a Liberal now, are you? Oh, yes. I didn't be- think of that. That's like, he'll be like, it's safer to just not vote at all. Yes. Yeah. I don't want to upset anybody. Yeah, he just he just um, turns the alarm clock off on voting day, <laughs> puts his pillow over his head, just waits it out. Yeah, definitely. How about Poirot? Admit it, go on. But I don't want him to be a Tory. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he would be a Tory, though, because he cares about people too much. Sorry, Tory voters listening. <laughs> We're going to offend some people today, aren't we? <laughs> we didn't. We didn't. <laughs> it's Poirot doing it. Yeah, Poirot. Jap's definitely Labour, isn't he? Yeah, 100% working man. I think may- maybe Poirot, maybe, because back then in particular, Lib Dem wasn't a secondary party back in the day. It was one of the big dogs. It was between Conservative and, and Lib Dem originally before Labour was formed later on for the unions. So may- maybe Poirot would vote Lib Dem, <laughs> she says. Hopefully. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Chat might be you, Kipan. <laughs> <laughs> damned offensive. And- You're damned offensive. <laughs> anyway, let's get off the subject. Yeah, you brought this up, you monster. By the way, Jesus, Jap is working anyway with the Prime Minister. Who? Which Prime Minister, Frankie? <laughs> His name? It doesn't matter. Prime Minister Farage? <laughs> oh, dirty swine. Dirty swine. Sorry, no. Don't, how dare you? No, he doesn't really matter who the bloody Prime Minister is. Doesn't matter because Jap is a professional and he will look That's after right. whoever. 
let's face it, if if it had been Prime Minister Farage that gets kidnapped at the beginning of this episode, <laughs> no one's looking then for this it. story this story would have been called the murdered Prime Minister. <laughs> <laughs> like, good, full stop. Um, God, the amount of people we've offended. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Imagine if we get an email from Farage being like, I used to be a fan of your show. <laughs> Really sad that you brought politics into this. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm just I'm just going to say because in case we haven't offended people enough, um, if Nigel Farage does listen to our show, please kindly stop. The end. Thank you very much. <laughs> so anyway, Jaff is looking up to the prime minister, and they're at Charing Cross, and basically the prime minister is about to get on a train because he needs to head over to France because there's a big disarmament. Disar- now that is a tricky word to stumble over disarmament uh, (laughs) conference happening in France. And it's really important that the prime minister is there speaking because he needs to rally the rest of Europe around him so that Germany can't rearm and cause world war part two, as it's known famously. So, so that is why Jap is involved. He's at the train station and they're waiting for the prime minister to arrive and he's a bit late. So everyone's a bit nervous. No sign of him yet. We just lost sight of the Prime Minister's car for two... No, 20 seconds. There was a bend in the road, just this side of Datchet. Yes. No, nobody knows at all. We've kept it quiet. Yes, it turns out that uh, during his journey across England to the train station, someone's had a shot at the Prime Minister, haven't they? Someone's... Yeah. Taking a taking a bit of a a bit of, well they've shot a few bullets, um, but they've wounded the prime minister's face and he's arrived and he's all bandaged up. Someone tried to hijack us. Probably only lost sight of you for a few seconds. Oh, they got it all worked out. Diverted us down a leg. Gang of thugs waiting. If it hadn't been for Egan there, I don't know what would have happened. What did happen? One or two of them had guns. They were right across the road. As soon as Egan saw them, he just put his foot down on the accelerator, drove straight at them. They had to jump for it, I can tell you. Well done, Egan. Thank you, sir. Unfortunately, one of them let his gun off at us as we passed. Bullet just grazed the Prime Minister's cheek. Good God. It's all right. I got it bandaged at the hospital. Well done, Commander Daniels. Well done. But, you know, all's well. They got him him there and uh, he's on the way to France. Yep, he gets on the train. He quickly gets on. And they, they basically explained that somebody tried to basically hijack their car. They put a corded up in the middle of the road. We can talk about that in a bit more detail when Poirot investigates. Spoiler, mm-hmm. <laughs> Poirot's brought in. That's a big spoiler for the show, isn't it? That Poirot is involved in the investigation at some point. Uh, it seems that the hijackers <laughs> tried to divert them down a lane. They had guns and they had ran into the road with them after putting up this cordon. But the driver put his foot down, which forced them to jump out the way. And a bullet, as you say, grazed the prime minister's cheek. But they quickly took him to a hospital, got it bandaged, and uh, back on track. They whack him on the train. Off he goes. There we have it. There's a twist. We're back at Whitehaven, and mm. Poirot is called in by the Secretary of State. And he heads off to Parliament and meets with Sir Bernard Dodge, the Secretary of State, who reveals that when the Prime Minister arrived in France, he was... Can anyone Hungry. guess what happened to the Prime Minister? <laughs> Sleepy. <laughs> Grumpy? Dopey. I'll just name dwarves. Uh, What happened to him, Adam? He got kidnapped for goodness sake. That was completely unexpected. (laughs) I know, right? So the second attempt on the Prime Minister seems to have gone off. Okay. Um, And the timing is all out of whack because everyone needs him to be at that disarmament conference in Paris. Not only does his vote matter, 
But as you say, they're counting on him to rally everyone else to vote against German rearmament. The Prime Minister's absence from the League of Nations Disarmament Conference in Paris could be disastrous. His is the one voice that can unify Europe and perhaps stop Germany rearming. And uh, it's very, very important. So obviously around, somewhere around yes. time for this one. I said right now they're armless. Do you want me to get Jason on? <laughs> Carry on the episode. I'm sorry. Look, you all know what to expect by now. How dare you? You all know what to expect by now, okay? This is the level that I'm capable of, of humour. So I sorry. I actually thought that was really funny, but I just think it's funny. <laughs> funny to be mean? Silent. Thanks. <laughs> Thank, thank you very much. Um, so basically... Poirot is called in to find out what happened to the Prime Minister. And it's very crucial, the timing. He has 32 and a quarter hours before he has to be at the conference. Don't forget that quarter. Very, <laughs> I know, right? Poirot makes a little comment that I love. And the conference is to be held when? Half past eight tomorrow evening. Oh, yeah. It is now quarter past twelve. Thirty-two hours. Never left. And the quarter... Do not forget the quarter, monsieur. It may come in useful. Uh, so then Sir Bernard breaks it down what happened, basically, when they, they went to France. The PM and his secretary were crossing into France in the early hours. The embassy met them at Boulogne, but they never made it to Paris. Apparently the car they sent was a bogus car. So that is largely what happened. They draft in Poirot, as you say, and... He gets to work investigating. The first place they go is to the scene of the attempted shooting, kidnapping, whatever it was the night before. So Sir Bernard, be, being a man who can pull a string or two, has arranged passage for Poirot to get straight over to France to um, to get the problem solved and find the Prime Minister, wherever he may be, and get him to the disarmament conference. But Poirot seems, shall we say, bullishly devoted to working out what happened in this shooting that happened just before he arrived to leave France, in which his cheek was grazed. Um, and so Bernard's irritation sort of begins then, doesn't it? It's like, why yeah. are you messing around here? Why aren't you getting over to France to find the bloody Prime Minister? Uh, Jap, um, who has recommended Poirot for the job, is instantly caught in the middle. And there's this, like, as we mentioned before, there's this lovely dynamic running through the whole episode where Jap doesn't really know which side to be on but is airing towards Poirot because Poirot's never let him down before and he's hoping against hope that Poirot doesn't let him down this time. As you say, Poirot, it's, we all know people like this who the more you ask them to do something, the less likely they are to do it. And that's definitely Poirot in this episode where he's like, come on, let's go to France. And he's like, mm, let's go to Windsor <laughs> instead. Let's go to that ship. Uh, let's go the opposite direction. Uh, I'm not getting on a boat. And I love that there's a bit where Hastings like, well, I think he doesn't want to go on a destroyer. Yeah, how seasick he gets. Seasick. I shall... if he carries on. So maybe that's why he doesn't want to go. Uh, but <laughs> it's actually not. It's within good reason. So Poirot's got his theories. He he does... A, I mean, we can kind of round up a few of the bits he does. He's desperate to find the hospital where they took the Prime Minister to get bandaged. So they go to literally every hospital in the whole area. And this was back when the NHS had funding and there were hospitals everywhere, apparently. So there's mm. a lot to look through. I'm not making any more comments on politics today. And then also he wants to speak to the driver, uh, Egan, who drove him the night before. And so they go to speak to him. And 
they discover when they go to speak to Egan, as he's known, is that he seems to have disappeared as well. He didn't actually come home, did he? He's no. Dropped the prime minister at the station so he could get off to France and no one's seen him since. Uh, as you say, they can't find the hospital. They don't no. know which hospital it was between Windsor and Datchet that served at the Prime Minister's face and bandaged mm-hmm. it up. Also, Poirot examines the Prime Minister's car that he was travelling in and discovers... No blood, no bullet hole. Does it not strike you as strange, Chief Inspector, that there is no bullet hole? Oh, but the bullet hit the Prime Minister. No, no, he thinks the bullet grazed the Prime Minister. Why was there no bullet in the car? Where did it go? As my graced his cheek. So the man responsible for escorting the Prime Minister that day was Commander Daniels. You want to talk about him a little bit? Yes, Commander Daniels. We learn a bit, we get a bit of his background. Uh, we learn from Sir Bernard. He was served with distinction in the Royal Navy. He's very well respected. His father was a minister with Mr. Asquith's cabinet, probably a Tory, uh, until they had a row over home rule. He's missing as well as the prime minister. Obviously, he was in the car with him in Paris. He was he was there the night before when the attempted attack happened. And he's the one that took him to hospital and, you know, leapt into action. And now he is also missing with the prime minister in Paris. It's worth quickly saying as well, um, Daniels went through quite a high profile divorce the year before um, and uh, made all the papers. He and his wife Imogen? Yes. They had a very, very acrimonious split um, and there was lots of muckraking and newspaper stories. It's remarked upon several times during the course of the story. Even Jap Mm. says, oh yeah, crikey O'Reilly. I did did see all that in the papers. Chief Inspector, did you ever read about the divorce of Commander Daniels? I should say. So there are our main players. Egan's gone missing. Yep. Uh, Daniels, who made it to France with the Prime Minister, has also gone missing along with the Prime Minister. So they go to Egan's house. They search around to try to look for some clues. And Poirot, I, I just love that Poirot knows exactly where to look for things always. And it's always places mm-hmm. that a normal, like, decent person wouldn't look. And that's why he's so good. Straight under the pillow, finds his address book, which is great. Um, and he turns to... <laughs> X in the address book and he finds a number in there that seems to pique his interest so bear that in mind everyone as we go into the rest of the episode because that one when Poirot raises an eyebrow you know it's something to pay attention to Mm -hmm. he finds the number Mayfair 2537 as you say those old style address books where you sort of ran your thumb down the side and you found the letter you wanted and then you opened it on that one they don't exist anymore. What would be the equivalent of that these days? It would be going you just through scroll your through phone. someone's contact. Yeah, contact list. Go to X, uh, I suppose. Uh, that X. Or their oh, notes app. Notes app. Yeah, exactly. Shop- shopping list. For all the kids <laughs> listening with their shopping lists. <laughs> exactly. If a kid's got a shopping list, you know, there's something dodging there. <laughs> yeah, well, what are they buying? Just drugs on the shopping list. <laughs> So it's while they're searching and Sir Bernard is desperate to get Poirot on a plane and Poirot basically walks away from them at multiple points being like, yeah, I'm not doing that. There's a few moments actually where Sir Bernard is complaining to Jap about Poirot and Poirot hears him or walks in and catches him at the end. Uh, And he's like, there's one bit where he's just like, he's a detective and we're paying him and paying him handsomely, I may say, to detect. What do you expect him to do? God's teeth, do I have to teach him his job? Bloodstains, fingerprints. He's done all that. Well, I haven't seen him. I haven't seen him so much as look through a magnifying glass. 
Poirot is ready. And it's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> bow down. <laughs> Poirot's in control here. He's driving, so you shut up. And it's perfect. That's literally the um, sort of Poirot equivalent of Avengers Assemble, isn't it? Always yes, <laughs> Poirot is ready. It, make, it makes all Poirot fans go, oh! <laughs> <laughs> exactly that. Well, a discovery has been made in France. The car <gasps> has turned up. Commander Daniels is found inside, bound and gagged with a really nasty gash on his head. Commander Daniels is shipped swiftly back over to England, isn't he? And um, yeah. they interview him. They go to his flat. Uh, Poirot, Sir Bernard, Jap and Hastings, <laughs> the holy quartet, <laughs> they, um, they turn up to Commander Daniels' house. It's probably best if we play a clip here because uh, it's all in the way Poirot plays it. You can tell he's on to something. But you just yeah. can't tell what at the moment, so we'll let him do the talking. If you would be kind enough, Commander, to tell us what happened when you arrived at Boulogne. Well, Mr. McAdam had managed to get some sleep on the crossing, but he was still shaken, I could tell. There was a staff car waiting for us on the quay. Tell me about the driver. I didn't take much notice of him. One doesn't, I'm afraid. Of course. We started off for Paris. We passed through Nampon Saint-Martin just as the sun was coming up. It was about six o'clock. And then? The last thing I remember was passing through Vaughan. I looked at my watch. It was ten past six. Then nothing. Well, nothing until four hours later when I woke up in the car in a spinny, very efficiently tied up and gagged. No sign of the Prime Minister. Or the driver. Or the driver. I managed to get the door open with my feet, but that's as far as I'd got when a little girl found me. I must have frightened the life out of her. I was blood all over my face. Anyway, she got the local gendarme. So you remember nothing of the abduction? I'm afraid not. Well, this frequently happens, Commander, as a result of a trauma. But your memory, it will soon return. As you say, that Poirot's got a bit of a tone with Daniels the whole time he's speaking to him, where he's kind of a bit like... Are you okay? Oh, you poor thing. I'm Are sure you your memory right, will be back right. soon. <laughs> Don't worry. Like, you can tell he's a bit like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm mm. sure it was real bad. You poor thing. So Poirot asks Commander Daniels if he can use his phone. And he goes round... Commander Daniels said, of course you can. So Poirot goes round to the desk, sort of rearranges a couple of things, looks at a couple of things, starts dialing, he's glancing around the desk, starts dialing. You can see Poirot's eyes shoot from object to object. It's worth if you want to solve this mystery. It's worth it's worth following his eyes. I would say at this scene, just to see what he's uh, acknowledging on the desk, because it is very important and it's a huge clue. Yeah. So yeah, he starts dialing. Apparently, he's got to dial a friend because uh, uh, he had a message for him. And then halfway through dialing, he puts the phone down and says, "No, no, 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 my friend. He will have retired for the night." Thank you, Commander Daniels. You have been most helpful. As you said, there's a really good thread of this running through where Poirot's being a little bit of a sh- <laughs> with Sir Bernard. Oh, Sir Bernard's like, well, that was bloody waste of time. He told us absolutely nothing. And he's like, actually, he told me everything I need to know. Like, he's got that kind of tone throughout. And I love that it, as a result of that, Jap's catchphrase in this episode is, Bang goes my pension. Because <laughs> the attitude is there. And after that particular scene, Poirot is feeling incredibly self-righteous. And there's my favourite burn of the episode comes in this moment where Sir Bernard is laying into him a bit, being like, you're wasting time. You know we have no time for this. What the hell are you doing? 
and this is a national emergency. And Poirot's like, well, yeah, we're going to be fine. Uh, I'm going to go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) So Bernard loses his mind in that moment, being like... I don't seem to realise, Poirot, this is a national emergency. I do not intend to sleep until the Prime Minister is found. I am sure it will make you feel very virtuous, Sir Bernard, but it will not help the Prime Minister. And then Poirot comes in with my favourite line of, I'm sure that will make you feel very virtuous, Sir Bernard, but it will not help the (laughs) Prime Minister. Like, oh, so good. And then Poirot drops the the cherry on the little (laughs) cake. I can't stop swearing for some reason today. (laughs) It's a very sweary episode. Yeah, I'm so very sorry. Lots of beeps. Uh, the little sting in the tail as Poirot's walking away, getting ready to go to bed. And he just says, If Monsieur McAdam is still alive, he will be in Paris in time for the conference. He never left his country, you see. What? So there you go. There's your big twist. Uh, Poirot has deduced already that the Prime Minister never even got to France. <gasps> What's happening? Dun, well, dun, dun. Don't worry, it is all made clear very soon. We now, Poirot decides that he needs two things. He asks Jap for two things. The record of the driver, Egan, who's been missing since the Prime Minister's incident, and the maiden name of the former Madame Daniels, who was married to Commander Daniels. Uh, Madame Daniels is our next sort of introduced character. Poirot and Hastings go to see her the next morning. She's a very statuesque lady. She reminds me a lot of Miss Plenderly from yes. Murder in the Muse. Very, very imposing, large, square-jawed lady. Extraordinarily beautiful lady. Mm. But, um, one of those really statuesque ladies you, your eyes are very drawn to. Red hair, which I think is a bit of a... Wink. Nodge, like, wink, wink. You know, a stereotypical clue, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. First, when you first see her, I was thinking like, wow, like Tilda Swinton crossed with mm. david bowie kind of she's got this like yeah. amazing androgyny to her she also she's wearing a suit so she looks really cool mm. as well like she's, she's all angles isn't she yeah. yeah and she's just ice queen as well like she is the coolest uh kind yeah. of yeah cat oh, god i cannot pull off saying coolest cat uh but she is Try so again. no i don't think i should ever say those words ever oh. again um, <laughs> I'm glad you're editing this episode because you could just play them whirl. on loop. Uh, but yeah, she is. She's a she's a pretty cool customer uh, and pretty icy. She is a badass for sure. Um, basically, Poirot wants to know uh, all about Commander Daniels. I love that he comes out and lays his cards on the table. He said yeah. he tells her that you know, first of all, he gets a few facts about their marriage and their very acrimonious split and she makes no bones about the fact that she hates his guts and that he hates her and she hopes he's in trouble and all this kind of thing. He tells her straight away, Commander Daniels had the means to commit a crime. He had the opportunity to commit a crime, but as yet the police can find no motive for the crime. He tells her, basically, that Commander Daniels is who I'm looking at, basically. I think he was the guy that's arranged all of this. And then leaves her with that information, doesn't he? He sort of yeah. walks out, leaves her as if to say, she's a little bit mystified as to why he's telling her this. But yeah. he goes straight out of the house to where Hastings is waiting in the car and says, uh, Mrs. Daniels will leave the house at some point. Make sure you follow her and yeah. don't let her out of your sight. Thank you. And before his his last question that he asked Mrs. Daniels is an interesting one. just want to point it out because it's quite uh, quite poignant. He asks her what 
his politics alike. What, what are Commander Daniel's politics? And she describes them as torpid, which is a really good word. I love the word torpid. Um, and basically said he's never had a political thought in his life. And it kind of, they end on that note. He's like, okay, cool. I'm out. And, and then he pops out. As you say, it's disease Hastings, who's very happy to sit in the Lagonda all day, which for me, I think looks extra bouncy today, possibly because of all the speed bumps that shouldn't have been there. And yep. yeah, that's it. <laughs> Hastings is stationed outside for the day and very happy with that. So then mm. Poirot poodles off to go and see Jap uh, at Scotland Yard. He gets in a taxi and as he's walking in, some more gold where Jap is clearly on the phone to Sir Bernard. Well, I couldn't agree with you there, sir. Now, he's not slow, he's thorough. Yes, well, most of our men are already in France, sir. Have been... Guess who he was talking about? Modesty forbids, Chief Inspector. I love that line. Guess who he was talking about? <laughs> Modesty forbids. Chief so I highlighted it because yeah. I love that line. It's yeah, it's perfect. And there's a sick burn right before that where Jap's like, he's not slow, he's thorough. <laughs> <laughs> Poirot's eyebrow just raised up. That. Oh yeah, that'd be me. <laughs> So Jap gives Poirot the information he's asked for. John Patrick Egan, the driver that's been missing since the Prime Minister incident. Uh, he was born in Milltown, County Clare, 1901. He's Irish. Ooh. Ooh. And Mrs. Daniels' maiden name is Donahue, which Poirot also points out is an Irish name, right? Mm. It turns out she's the third daughter of the Earl of Connemara. Yes. Now, uh, Jap remarks on the fact that the Daniels had a really, really, really acrimonious divorce so Poirot decides to take the information he's got and I would say pull a little mental heist or a little mind game he goes mm. to see Commander Daniels and has to watch in disgust as Commander Daniels eats his breakfast which is yes. four legs <laughs> and he has to climb stairs to get up there which is like the know, biggest right? insult <laughs> <laughs> it's his face when he's watching the eggs because I must admit when I watch this when he's like hitting the eggs and the shell's going, in the egg, I was going, Ugh. yeah. <laughs> and then I saw Poirot doing the same thing. I was like, yeah, hey, you know how what Poirot's like with his that. eggs? It's a, an act of precision, the eating of the boiled mm. egg, because it's essentially him eating himself because he's modeled on an egg, isn't he? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. he takes it very seriously. <laughs> Be careful. Yes, it's a horror show watching him hack that egg to pieces. <laughs> uh, he asks Daniels if he knows Egan. And Daniels is nonplussed for a moment. And he says, the guy that drove you in the Prime Minister? He says, oh. Oh, Egan. Know him. He's a driver. There are three or four on call for Downing Street. But you see, Commander, he has not been seen since he drove back the car to the garage that night. Really? He, he did not return to his I'm sorry. It is no matter. I'm sorry. To have disturbed your breakfast. Commander Daniels doesn't mix with the riffraff is the sort of answer that Poirot gets. So Poirot takes his leave and leaves him to his breakfast. But as he does, he turns back and leaves a phrase, uh, almost like a, a word bomb in the room. He tells Commander Daniels, Erin Gabra. Yes. Uh, we then go back to Hastings outside Mrs. Daniels' house in the car. Obviously, this is just after... Poirot has said Eringobra to um, 
Commander Daniels. We hear the phone ring inside the Dennis house, which is, must be a really bloody loud phone if you can hear it from the other road. <laughs> <laughs> it's got an air horn attached to it. <laughs> Mrs. Daniels answers it, is visibly shocked, and then runs and jumps into her car. So the chase is on. Yes. There's also a really good line that comes from that where uh, Jap, basically, while Hastings is giving chase, Jap and Poirot are back at Whitehaven with Miss Lemon. Uh, and a chap says it's all very fine and large Poirot which is you know how he describes himself, his penis I'm sure fine and large <laughs> <laughs> but what if Miss Daniels doesn't leave and she says well she will have left already Chief Inspector <laughs> I am the Dutchman <laughs> so good <laughs> right we're, I mean we're kind of getting towards the dinner mall now because Mm. explain too much more but what all you need to know is that hastings is giving chase to mrs daniels and they're going through lovely Berkshire where i live oh yes and um they're going along country roads and through villages mrs daniels notices that car is on her tail Mm -hmm. and uh very cleverly pulls into a little side road hastings goes whizzing past finds himself a fork in the road and can't tell anymore where mrs daniels has gone so Mm -hmm. he gets on the blower to Poirot and Miss Lemon and Jap, who are waiting at Whitehaven Mansions because the key seems to be following Mrs. Daniels to see what she does. Hello? Poirot? Yes, Hastings. Where are you? I'm afraid I've lost her, Poirot. You've lost her? He's lost her. But where are you? Between Basingstoke and Andover. Let me get a map, Hastings. The map, if you please, Miss Lemon. Between Basingstoke and Andover. She turned off the main road, and we went through a village called Sprattling. She must have seen me just after that. So he's lost her somewhere in Berkshire. Now they need to figure out where. And it turns out that Miss Lemon might be able to help you. There was a big fire. I can see the headline now. Earl's mansion destroyed. There was a picture of him. Fine-looking man, oh, Mr. Poirot. Would you, uh, contact if that I have no doubt, Miss Lemon. But where was the house? It was in Berkshire. Good? Good. It was in... Uh, oh. Try, Miss Lemon. It was called something hall in a village called... We can find that out. Uh, Cantwell, can you find out the name of the house that belonged to the Earl of Connemara that burnt down a couple of years ago? Oh, the hall was the same name as the village. It was a name like Batley. Batley? Like Batley. Oh. Catley? Mm. Detley? Fatley? Gatley? Oh. Hatley? Somerscote Hall? Yes. This is like the funniest bit because I love this. Oh my god, it's so <laughs> This perfect. is so good because she's trying to remember the name of the Earl of Connemara's house that yep. burned down and she's got an idea it rhymes with Batley. <laughs> it's like Batley, Adam. It's, it's like, like Batley. Batley. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny though. Oh, it's so it's perfect. <laughs> The best thing, uh, as I say, my favourite sick man of the ep- episode is the look that Poirot gives. Chap, <laughs> it's just a little, it's a tiny little just glance, but it's it's just the most hilarious thing. Yeah, it's like Jesus Christ, <laughs> women, am I right? Yeah, <laughs> it's, just, it's the way that when when Chap's like Somerset Hall, she's like, yes, of course. <laughs> Rhymes like, with Batley. <laughs> she doesn't even like. There's no like when when he says it, she's all like, "Oh God, that's completely wrong." Sorry, she's like, "Yes, that's it. Yeah, it makes total sense." Oh boy, it's funny because she is usually 
<laughs> the one that drops on it. Yeah, the truth bomb. Yeah, she's usually on it, but she was so far off. It's great. <laughs> well, um, I think we're going to have to probably break away at this point, don't you? I agree because we're about to get it broken down. Yeah. What's your What's your sick burn of this episode? By the way, I think it was. I mean, there's a couple of great ones, but I did. I really liked. I'm sure it makes you feel very virtuous, Sir Bernard. But it's not really. It will not help the prime minister because the the, the way he delivers it. <laughs> It's it's so perfect because Sir Bernard's like, I will stay up forever until I find the Prime Minister. And he's like, well, good job, man. Yeah, don't go driving gonna... any cars then. <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, well, I'm going to sleep because you're not gonna, that's not going to help him, you idiot. So it's, yeah, I really mm. like that one. And yours is the look that he gives. Mine's the look. I just crack up every time I see it. It's yeah. perfect. It's, <laughs> it's really, really good. Well, Adam, what do you rate this episode? Uh, on, a, on, a, on a scale of 1 to 10... Mystery wise, I would give this one probably a six or a seven. Like it's yeah. It's actually a really clever mystery, but mm. it, I think it becomes more the, the moment Poirot spells out that it's Commander Daniels involved. I mean, he comes out and says it very early in the episode. Yes, he does. I told you. It's like twenty odd minutes in. Yep. Uh I think it loses a bit of its in enigmatic appeal when you yeah. know who it was. But uh, I do think as a plot, it's actually it's good fun it's like a little adventure romp and the mystery's okay yeah it's definitely not on a par with something like problem at sea but no yeah it's a it's a solid six i would say what do you think yeah i, w- I was gonna say six as well because it is a, mm. it is really clever but i think you're right i think <laughs> i i don't know what's wrong with me today they blow their load a little early <laughs> in this one because yeah you kind of obviously daniels is involved you, you figure that out pretty early on uh, but mm. it is when you when you hear, as you say, the explanation of it, it is really, really clever. And I'll be honest, though, this this is one that I never remember after I've watched it. Like I have to rewatch. And we're, oh, yeah, yeah. OK, I get it now. So it's not like a big standout razzle dazzle one. It's solid, though. And there's a lot of clever stuff in it. And I think the whole little dance that he does about, you know, around Jap and, and Sir Bernard is really fun. Uh, and there's a, there's a great line that Poirot drops as well when he says, But you see, the kidnappers, they always had one flaw to their plan. They knew it and they did their best to conceal it. But their best is not good enough for Hercule Poirot, perhaps. And, but that, that is kind of, the dancing is necessary. It's not just as like a comedic thing. And it's, yeah, it's it's clever. So yeah, I agree with the six. I think it is. It's a solid one. I like the uh, the lack of uh, metaphor for yeah. the title as well. Sometimes I like the the titles to be pulpy, and I think the kidnapped prime minister is such a great mm. title. Like you know, you're just like, oh well, the prime minister's going to be kidnapped. There's going to be you know some daring do, and I like that about yes um, a lot of the second season episodes you know i like titles like jewel robbery at the grand metropolitan and the veiled lady and the kidnapped prime minister and stuff you like like a ron seal title just yeah sorry my point was that i this is one i revisit quite a lot because i like yeah i like the pulpy ones so i do think this is a good fun one and i think it looks incredible there's a scene where Mm. just after they visited commander daniels they come uh, down his staircase. Yeah. And then when you zoom out and see the entire building, it's like, wow, is that building real? I really want to visit that. It's such yeah. an Art Deco masterpiece. Plus, I love all the countryside stuff when Hastings is chasing her through and you see all the old villages and the old yeah. windy roads and the Lagonda sort of zooming after her car. So, yeah, yeah I, I really, it's one I aesthetically really enjoy. 
It is. It is really beautiful. And yeah, speed bumps aside, it is a lot of good stuff, like beautiful scenery involved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, mystery wise, I think, yeah, I think we're both on the same page with that. I think it sort of shows its hand a bit too early for it to be. Yeah, that's how you say it. Not blow your load. Thank you. It shows the hand. Uh, <laughs> good to know. And I think, to with you, after, after the cheap flat, we're just grateful for any kind of actual mystery at this yeah, point. God. So thank you. Thank God that this is next. But how about you guys? I mean, it's not really one you need to... You don't really need to find out who the miscreant is in this. I mean, you can find out... No. You know, there's other we things to find do. out. But it's more about, I would say, how they're going to get the Prime Minister back, it turns into. And did you work out mm. what had happened? What the chain of events spelled out? Let us know. Please do. You can email us at bonjour@thelabourseofhercule.com. And come back after the music, everyone, and join the fun. Yes, let's find out exactly who kidnapped the Prime Minister, as if we don't. <laughs> it's a bit Scooby-Doo, isn't it? Let's do it. Yeah, it is a bit Scooby-Doo, this one. But I kind of <laughs> like it. Well. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see you after the music. Au revoir. Au revoir. Right, we're back. We're back. Um, and you should be around sort of 41 minute mark. Yes. Mm. So who's responsible, Frankie? Who was well, responsible? <laughs> <laughs> well, along with Commander Daniels, who we already figured out about halfway through the episodes was involved. We've also now learned that he is in cahoots, shall we say, with his alleged estranged ex-wife, Imogen Daniels, and also the driver, Egan. Mm, they're all part of it. Yeah, we find out that uh, there's been... Well, I mean, Poirot breaks it down really beautifully for Jap in the car, so maybe I'll just chuck in that bit. I hope this isn't a wild goose chase, Poirot. No, 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 mon ami. The only wild goose chase they intended us to be on was in France. And they have been planning this for years. It was only when they could get somebody sympathetic to their cause into the position of one of the drivers of the Prime Minister was the abduction possible. But what is their cause? German rearmament? Indirectly. There is a strong element in Ireland that does not care if Germany rearms so long as it causes hurt for England. But how did Daniels get involved? I understand about his wife. Seems she was always a bit of a rebel. But the father of Commander Daniels was violently opposed to Lord Asquith in the 1914 Irish Home Rule Bill. Oh, that was the end of his career in politics. I think that he has festered inside the Commander Daniels all of his life. He did not take so much persuading. I mean, fair play to the Daniels, I have to say. That is some long-term planning. That mm. is next-level planning. No, even Poirot says, doesn't he, um, this plan has taken, it's been years in the making. The Daniels decided to throw everyone off their trail. Uh, went through this very public, very messy divorce battle when, mm. in actual fact, they were always in love and always working together. But they did this so that people would never suspect that they were in it together. And what they did was they snatched the Prime Minister in England, bandaged up a lookalike, sent him off over the channel with Daniels, and then the lookalike disappeared and Daniels got smacked on the head and left in the car and that's what's happened. The Prime Minister never left the country. The Prime Minister has actually been at the Earl of Connemara's daughter's mansion house thing in the country. Badly. 
He's been at Batley. Batley. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like Batley this whole yes. time. And they recruited the driver, Egan. It seems that Poirot says that they've basically been biding their time with this plot for ages, waiting to get somebody in as a driver for the prime minister so that they could arrange this whole kidnapping. So imagine how long have they been waiting for this? Like, oh, maybe we should hire a new driver, prime minister. What do you think? And he's like, mm, I think we're okay. He's like, oh, fine. Oh, come on, please. Right like, for the next 15 years, I think. Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but but, uh, but uh, Parker has always driven me. Oh, Parker, all right, retire already. Uh, but yeah, he finally, they finally got Egan in and he was able to assist them. And Egan's been hiding out at Summercoat as well, guarding the prime minister who was taken the day before, not in Paris. What happens is Poirot, Jap, Sir Bernard and Hastings arrive at Summerscott Hall to find that the army have been called in <laughs> yeah. to surround... I mean, it's gotten this serious, folks. Um, the army has been called in to surround the hall because that's where the prime minister is being kept. So the plot, essentially, is that a group of uh, Irish Republican rebels have decided that they would rather have Germany rearm because then it causes headaches for Britain in the yep. war. So they have taken the prime minister so that he can't rally the troops and he can't cast his vote and Germany can rearm and that will cause problems for Britain. That's the plan. So the army have now surrounded the mansion. They instantly notice, don't they, that the army are outside. I mean, it's only Imogen and Egan that are holding yes. the prime minister in the house. Um, uh, Daniels himself is outside of the cordon. Um, yeah. And when they notice, uh, Imogen tells Egan to make a run for it, and she will distract them. And my goodness me, she does not pick a dramatic way of doing it. Oh boy, yeah. Before we get to that bit, though, Poirot does explain. to First of all, Poirot gets to enjoy Sir Bernard eating a big old slice of humble pie as he apologises to Poirot for <laughs> accusing him of wasting his time. And he basically says, how did you figure it out? And Poirot tells him, we're going back to the address book that we talked about earlier and how Poirot gave a, a hot tip to all of us. So you go into someone's address book and you look under X, or as we've said, the notes app or the shopping list <laughs> or, or the contact list. Um, and X is where the secrets are kept. And that's how he figured it out because he saw the phone number for Mayfair. And when he pretended to use the phone back at Daniel's house, he noticed that it was the same phone number. So bit of sneakiness from Poirot there. But yeah, sorry, I just wanted to mention those clues. Back to Imogen. Uh, Egan's done a runner and Imogen's about to uh, create her distraction. And she's looking a little crazed, I would say, going into this. The eyes grow, I would say, about five inches in diameter. Mm -hmm. They're like, mm -hmm. the, the crazy eyes. <laughs> <laughs> well, she does. She takes a pistol and she climbs up onto the roof of the building and everyone notices she's there, and she calls out... And unfortunately, just before that, Commander Daniels had tried to sneak in and they, they obviously got him because there's 500 army men, a bit like outside the Black Cats in bloody um, the cheap flat. <laughs> a lot of army. But they're actually effective and they stopped him from getting in, unlike the assassin. I'm still angry. And yeah, he, he, he witnesses his wife shooting herself and he's devastated. Yeah. It's quite a gruesome little scene. Actually. She shoots herself and you see this blood fly all over the 
and stone yeah. and then she falls and and you left you hear the crunch and then yeah yeah i think that's the first episode we see blood in yeah i think it might be right Mm. She's led their dead, and Daniels staggers over to his wife and is bereft. <laughs> the prime minister just—he just appears at the door with his <laughs> gag yeah. on and his hands behind his back. Hi guys, I could have snuck it out here. It's a good if I know you were. Yeah. So all is well. Yeah, it's all is well. Um, just quickly, uh, Egan. We never hear what happens to him. He does get away, doesn't he? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, he just drives off. Yeah. Egan goes start a new life somewhere. I don't know. Goes back to Ireland, mm. perhaps. <laughs> we'll never know. It's when uh, Mrs. Daniels calls out Eringenbrach and shoots herself that Poirot explains what it actually meant. Yes. Eringenbrach. Ireland forever. After they've left Batley, Hastings and Poirot are, are in the car and Hastings is saying like how did how did Poirot know that he had sent a double to France and Poirot said he'd figured it out because when no one who knew him personally had seen him since the assassination attempt in quotation marks and that half his face was bandaged it instantly you know arose his suspicion and to be honest with you it it raised mine straight away as well when someone's mm-hmm. got half their face bandaged and they are they quickly get onto a train and you see them for a split second I would too be like, oh, hold on a That's second. That's not here. that person. Yeah, instantly. <laughs> and then you start ripping off someone's bandages and actually they were shot and it gets blood everywhere. And it's <laughs> it's like the opposite Never of again. a Scooby. Yeah, you know when Scooby Doo and they're like, let's see who you really are. And they rip their face <laughs> off and by accident. They did blood. So mm. that is the end of the case. Like, case solved, another one. I don't, I feel like. I was hoping it would end a bit like the end of New Hope in Star Wars when there's like a big procession and everyone praises Poirot for his genius and like the whole country Mm. just thanks him. That's how it should have ended, in my opinion. But it didn't. Me too. With Chewbacca. (laughs) 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 Exactly. And Carrie Fish is there. And yeah, that would have been great. But no. But he just, but he's, he celebrates in his own way, doesn't he, Adam? Because he's off to get Fingland. (laughs) Oh, yes, he is. Now, Poirot, I think, is uh, because he's feeling a little bit pleased with himself. He tries getting a bit testy with Mr. Fingler, but Mr. Fingler seems to have the upper hand. What's your finger? This jacket, it is too tight. Oh, it is too tight, is it? Yes, I shall scarcely be able to button it up. Do you know why it is too tight? Because you made it too small. No, 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 no. Because you have grown too big. This jacket has been made by last year's measurements. Now, are we having a fitting of what? The other hand, <laughs> Fingler. <laughs> oh! oh, you're on fire. <laughs> so, yeah, mystery solved. It. Yeah, mystery solved, episode done. It's a fun one. I like it. It's a good yeah. one. It's um, it's it's total. It's like mid range. It's like nothing like offensive about it. No, but it's not solid. Yeah, it's, it's a solid a good, one. Solid outing. Yeah, we get to see a bit of England. Yeah, I say that's a solid thing for series two. It's like solid episodes throughout. Mm. Whereas mm. I think in series one, it was a little bit more up and down in places. But no, it's a it's a good one. And did you at home solve it? Listener, we're at home in the car, wherever you listen. I don't know. Um, if you did, tell us about it. Uh, email us at bonjour at the labors of com or whatever on the social channels. Hey, Adam, what's our next episode? It is The Adventure of the Western Star. <gasps> next. Ooh. Mm. 
So yeah, thank you for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week with the adventure of the Western Star. Well, in two weeks. Two weeks, yeah. Yeah, and then we're going to do the Mysterious Affair at Styles after that. So get oh, no. ready for it's that. Super mm. excited, and mm. that will be the end of series two. Yeah, we're going to take a little break, um, just for a couple of weeks between Mysterious Affair at Styles and our third season. It's very exciting, isn't it? Having seasons, it is exciting, and that means that we're not stopping. So that means you're still you still wanted to keep doing it. I don't have to enlist Jason just yet. <laughs> Definitely not. No, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna see this one through. It's gonna be incredible, and uh, I wouldn't wouldn't dream of stopping making this show. It's a delight. Good, good. Well, thanks for listening, everyone, and we will see you again very soon for the adventure of the Western Star. So, au revoir, mes mm. Au revoir. Yes. Eringo Brach. <laughs> Up the rebels! Up the rebels! <laughs> <laughs>If you'd like to keep up to date with what we're doing or get in touch with us, you can follow us on Twitter at Labours Hercule. We're also on Instagram if you like pictures at Labours of Hercule. And if you were born in the 1920s yourself, then you can be all old fashioned and email us at bonjour at thelaboursofhercule.com. That's it from us. See you next time. Au revoir, mes amis.